I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. In today's program, we look at how strip-till practices and strategies have influenced California crop production, along with some of the adoption trends and growth opportunities on the West Coast. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Well, at the turn of the century, strip tillage and no-till were used on less than 1% of California's annual cropland. Tillage practices in the state had, in fact, changed very little for the prior 90 years. Since that time, however, a variety of motivations have now led to major reductions in overall tillage disturbance in several cropping sectors, as well as increased in the use of several variations on the strip-till system in vegetables, but particularly in silage corn production, and more recently at organic farms. Working with the Conservation Agricultural Systems Innovation Center, Jeff Mitchell, cropping extension specialist with the University of California, Davis, has been active in leading the evolution of new reduced disturbance systems with many farmer and private sector partners. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, supported by the National Strip-Tillage Conference, Jeff shares some of the origins and more recent advances in strip-till techniques being applied to California crops. What I'd like to do this morning is, is four or five things, essentially. First of all, I'm going to give you the, the context, the lay of the land that, that Jack just introduced a little bit to you, what, what has been going on in California, and uh, talk a little bit about the historical productivity of the region, how that came to be, what, what is involved in all that, and then give you three examples of applications of strip tillage that are fairly recent, I, I believe quite innovative actually, and in how this has all happened here. And then we'll, add, we'll, we'll end up with a, an extremely engaging group of farmers to show you how they're pushing the, uh, the edge of trying to get uh, further along and improve performance systems there. So the three systems are gonna be, first of all, we'll start off with tomatoes, then we'll look at corn in a silage production system, and then we'll actually go into more diversity with, with vegetables there. So it's gonna be a little different setting here for us this morning, but that's, that's the intention here. California, as I'm sure all of us know here, is extremely diverse, historically greatly productive, and you can see some of the diversity, at least in the annual crops that are shown here on this slide. I have added a fourth column in recent years, that one on the right side over there, to indicate to everyone the actual gigantic increase in permanent crop acreage in orchards, almonds, particularly walnuts, pistachios, that is going on. I, I think those permanent crops now occupy about 42% of the farming acreage in the great central valley of California. So that's been a tremendous transformation in cropping uh, that has happened in the last, well, five to 10 years, actually. So there's much more permanent plantings going in. And part of that is driven by water concerns. Uh, but there's less, less and less annual crop acreage there. But phenomenal productivity. And again, I'm, I'm not showing this as boasting or kind of bragging here, but historically, I, I, where I work in the central San Joaquin Valley, in the center of those uh, 
those counties right in here, this is Fresno County, typically three or four of the top U.S. ag producing counties in the country are within 50, 50 miles of where, where we normally work. So historically, tremendous productivity. It started way back 1930 when irrigation was, was uh, begun, when people started sinking wells, and it expanded in the 1960s when the Central Valley Improvement Project brought developed irrigation water through the Central Valley Canal there. So it's, it's been historically uh, tremendously productive. And these are some of the crops, and you'll notice that most of these are largely specialty crops, vegetables, fruits, nuts, those kind of crops. But California has had and continues to have a dominant role in, in ag in, in our country here. Now, in our annual cropping systems, this, however, has been pretty much the status quo. Very intensive, clean cultivation tillage. And at the turn of the century, when we started surveying tillage management practices, for instance, this was certainly the dominant paradigm. And I would say that our data suggested that about less than 1% of all annual crop acreage in the state was farmed with anything approaching no-till or strip-till. So that was in 2004 when we started the survey, and that was pretty much the starting point there. Now, in recent years, however, and again, many of you might be aware of some of this stuff, there have been a couple of California companies that have developed sort of all-in-one all one-pass tillage operations. So you can go from the harvesting, these happen to be tomatoes here in this, this place that hasn't been tilled yet, and in one pass, farmers can recondition the soil, so to speak, and prepare seed beds for the next planting. And these are the kind of what we call minimum tillage implements that are out there that, again, this happens to be cotton residues, by law, farmers are obliged to cut cotton plants, to kill them and undercut them to prevent an overwintering of a, a pest, pink bollworm. And these kind of implements can do that kind of thing. This is over in Salinas Valley where they're, they're uh, incorporating in uh, vegetable residue from a prior, prior harvest there. So this kind of equipment is relatively new as well. It wasn't introduced in California and probably in, in the early 2000s but it now has a big role. It's high-powered, high uh, high-tractor horsepower requirements for this tillage by and large. But what we've tried to do, and starting maybe in the late 1990s, was look at alternatives. Are there ways to maybe do this in, in, a, in a better way here? And that's what has led to the, the, the work I'm gonna share with you now. Um, if you look at the history, uh, this, the terms CA over here, we, our, our work group is called conservation agriculture. It's related to what we're all talking about here, regenerative ag, reducing disturbance, preserving residues, enhancing soil biology, diversity, those general principles that underline conservation ag and regenerative ag. The history globally around the world, you know, started probably here in the United States in the early 1930s with the Dust Bowl and the innovation that led to reduced disturbance tillage being more important. And there were lots of benchmarks in the global history. But a lot of this, this, this line here is the actual increase in adoption of no-till or conservation ag practices. A lot of that has happened in recent decades. 
the last 20 or, or so years there. So that's the global picture. And in California, our timeline is very similar. All right, way back in the, when pumping started, pumping for irrigation water in 1930, there were a few, you know, this 1957, there was a gentleman from Bakersfield, California, and he created something 60 years ahead of its time. It was a one pass, what he called the shredder better. It would take cotton stalks in the field and incorporate them shallowly into the soil and create beds to go into your next crop. But that, nobody ever picked up on that. Nobody ever adopted that. He was out on his own as a, a true pioneer there. There have been some other uh, advances, some work on zone tillage by a USDA researcher in the 70s and 80s, which was way ahead of its time again. But look at down here. This is the most recent advances and intensification of tillage alternatives just like globally, and that's where, this is where the changes in tillage management and tillage adoption of, of alternatives have happened in the last 10 or so years. So it's a very recent phenomenon in California. Unlike what I've heard here, many of you have been no-tilling or strip-tilling for many, many years, 50 years I even heard yesterday. So it's, it's a different context that we're dealing with there, but there's a lot of innovation that is happening as we speak right now. now because of that, we did not have the expertise. We did not know uh, how to do these kind of things. And we had to borrow, we had to learn, we had to go out and, and, and beat the bushes and learn from other regions where these kinds of systems and these practices are much more common. And that's what, essentially what we're doing here. And that again, this is the great service that I think is provided by these kind of meetings here, is we get to exchange, we get to learn, and we get to move forward. By being here, it gives me great confidence to take back to California, to know in the back of my mind that things can work, that there are examples of success that might have application in California. Now, another thing we had to do was we had to learn directly from what I'll call some mentors, all right? This is my personal list or, or showing of mentors that have been extremely important and valuable in my own work with the university and with farmers. And I'll just tell a couple of examples on, a, on, a, on two of them. First of all, uh, Dwayne Beck, as many of you know, is perhaps my most important mentor of all. And what, what Dwayne has taught us, and I know many of you have heard this same statement, take the E out of ET, reduce soil water evaporation, and have more water go through the plant as T, as transpiration, by having residues over the cover. So that's an important lesson that, that many of you take advantage of, I know, but it has not been acquired, it has not been used in California to any extent whatsoever. The other person is down here, Don Rakoski, who several of you might know as well. And if you take a look later on at the, uh, the article on the last page of Strip-Till Farmer Magazine, the one you got in your backpack here, there's a, a, an article from us in California, and I talk about the importance that Don has had in, in our own work out, out there. When he visited us, we've hosted him two or three times in California because all of these people, we had to invite experts, farmers, research people from around the world to come and share information with us, and Don was one of them. When I took him back to the Sacramento airport, I, he's, you know, we shook hands and he said, Jeff, I got one idea for you. Reduce the volume of soil disturbed. And I've that was at the beginning of the century, in 2002, I think, when he were, we first hosted him. 
And it's something that we have pursued every, ever since in everything we've done. So it's those kind of lessons, these kind of examples of success from truly around the United States and also around the world that have been very important for us. We also had to take farmers. We took farmer groups back to South Dakota, Nebraska, Colorado, to Georgia, down to learn, down here with Rick Reed, the founder of the Georgia Conservation Tillage Alliance, with Dwayne Beck again in, in Pierre, South Dakota. And it, those kind of things we did not have, the experience, the equipment, the know-how, the figuring things out to do any of these tillage uh, alternatives here. So let's start off with one of the examples of tomatoes. And I haven't heard anything so far this, the last two days about tomatoes, but I'll share a little bit about the work with, with tomatoes. It's a very important crop, both processing and fresh market tomatoes in California. And because I was originally assigned to the university as a vegetable crops uh, agronomy person, I had to stick with tomatoes. So a lot of this stuff is early on tomatoes here, but we, we, we expanded there. And little by little, I, ca I can't read the quote here, but this is a, a local paper here. And where we did one of the early demonstration trial evaluations there with the farmer, he said, well, this is the way of the future. And even then, you know, this is way back 1999, but there was, that's 20 years ago now, I guess, uh, that there was interest in these kind of things. And then we went into more cultimulch, rototiller kind of uh, strip tillers. Again, taking advantage of cover crops, knocking them down, killing them, and then preserving residue over the bed surface. These, by the way, where the tractor tires are, those are 60 inch wide beds here, and the tomatoes would be transplanted right in that strip till area there. But then we realized that that, that single row, small scale kind of stuff wasn't gonna be where we needed to go. So eventually we scaled up and developed more commercial size, three row equipment that could handle these kind of residues and I think we've, we've, we've been successful in that. Uh, you know, gradually there was more on-farm demonstration of these kind of things, and I'll share with what that looks like in a second here, but it was an evolution over time of these systems. This, close to the turn of the century, is probably the first field in which strip-till tomatoes was actually tr tried. It was up in western Fresno County, and the farmer, his motivations was to grow a cover crop not for some of the same reasons that many of you here are growing them, but he was thinking that if he could improve the soil and the water infiltration of the soil by having more organic matter, more roots growing in there, that he might be able to leach out some of the boron from the soil surface that was a problem in his particular area there. So it's a very specific kind of a goal there, but it led to his developing successful strip till here. Let's switch now to another sector, and this is more up the alley of many of you here, and that's corn, all right? There, in recent years, and again, this is quite recent, over the last 10 years, there have been a number of people uh, who have been looking at alternatives to the conventional winter forage. Triticale is the crop that most dairy farmers grow in the winter. They chop that. They conventionally would do uh, two weeks worth of bed preparation, going into summer corn, and then they would repeat the cycle again. There are a few people now, like Dino Giacomazzi, a young farmer in Hanford, California, told me once what we're doing here is completely designing new systems for, for the whole region here. And he was right. These systems had not been done, used before, uh, and they are now uh, used here. This is the, the, the time course of adoption here. 
from 2004, very small percentage, and in about 2012, pushing 40% adoption of this of strip till in corn production system here. So there have been innovations using GPS, strip till, planting corn, following the harvest or the chopping of a winter forage here. On this particular field, this is an amazing photograph actually, because look, they're harvesting the silage from the winter crop right here. The next check over, they're strip tilling, and the very next check over, they're already planting the very same day. Now that doesn't happen all the time there, but that, that year it worked out because moisture and timing were quite right. So the advantages to those farmers is cutting time. All right, they can turn crops over more quickly by using less tillage and, more, and fewer passes through the field there. And so essentially somebody could go from triticale to strip till or no-till corn to a third crop, a triple crop, a late summer cover crop, maybe sorghum, sorghum Sudan, that they could get and increase their overall tonnage there. So those are some of the motivations here. And now, the typical way this is done is that winter forage is chopped, it's harvested, then the strip tiller comes in, like right here. So that's the residue from the triticale or the wheat. Then there's a strip till pass. And then one of the things that, that uh, California Ag Solutions is looking at too is this, what they call a strip till finishing tool. It's a second pass strip till tool that comes in after those earlier uh, strip till lines and just cleans up and, and softens up the, the soil there with that kind of a tool there. After they strip till, then they would then apply a pre-irrigation, uh, just a surface flood irrigation. Most of these dairy corn uh, fields are irrigated with surface or flood irrigation. Uh, and then they would plant the corn right into that. So this is what the irrigation would look like after a, a, a strip-till operation. However, Carrie on the airplane coming out here told me that now they're actually thinking about even saving more time by irrigating the corn up. So strip-till, planting, irrigating the corn up. So that's another time-saving uh, effort that they're looking at. Well, thank you, Jeff, for sharing your experience on how the strip-till landscape is evolving and growing on the West Coast. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. And you can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Strip-Till, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. You can also check out coverage and details on the annual National Strip-Tillage Conference at striptillfarmer.com. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 podcast series. For Jeff Mitchell, the National Strip Tillage Conference, and our entire staff here with Strip Till Farmer, I'm Jack Samlicka. Thanks for listening. <music>